Welcome to Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's podcast. We'd love to worship with you today. Thank you so much for uh, leading us in worship this morning. And I think it's one of those amazing things when I hear the way in which uh, you have led and uh, knowing the things that we're going to be talking about together this morning, how the Holy Spirit really begins to bring so many of these things together. Uh, you know, when we hear about the, the hope of the resurrection and what we were reminded of last week as we celebrated Easter together, but also some of the songs that we've been singing together today about how it is God who has chosen us, that we are chosen and not forsaken, that we are exactly who God says we are. And so I love when I see the way in which the Holy Spirit begins to bring these things together. And so as we begin to plumb these incredible truths of God, I think it's so important that we begin in prayer. So would you join me in prayer? Lord, the things that we are going to be talking about together today, I know personally I feel the weight of sharing them. And yet, Lord, what I pray is that as we look at these incredible truths together this morning, that we would be reminded of how great your love is for us, that ultimately that is what we would leave this place today knowing that, Lord, because of the love of God for us in the person of Jesus Christ and in the power of your Holy Spirit, how, God, we are safe in your heart today. May we sense that. May we know that. May we believe that. And may we leave this place today having been transformed by the power of your word. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I've got to say this morning, as we come together, it really was a joy to be able to celebrate Easter together with you last week, for us to be able to know how deep and how wide, how high and how long is God's love for us in Jesus Christ. To know that there is no person, that there is no power, that there is no fear, that there is no failure that is beyond the resurrection power of our Lord Jesus Christ. My hope for you is also that you understand that because of the power of the resurrection that you and I can live as a people who are fully freed who are fully redeemed, who know that there is nothing beyond the power of God, that you are safe in the heart of God. And let's be honest, isn't that what you and I need to hear and to know in this day and age? You know, all we have to do is turn on the TV, we have to maybe flip through the newspaper, we scroll through our news feeds, and we hear about the pain about the evil, about the violence, about the pain and the sin and the brokenness of this world. 
And sometimes when that happens, you and I can have a difficult time squaring what we hear last week about the goodness and grace of God with the pain and the suffering that we see in this world. And so we wonder, is God really good? If God has the power to raise Jesus Christ from the dead, if God has the power to raise you and I from the dead, but we see the pain and the brokenness, and we say, God, you don't stop it. God, are you really good? And we wonder that if God has the power to do these things, but he doesn't. I mean, God, do you even have that power at all? I want us to understand that you and I are not the first people to struggle with this. Even one of the greatest writers of the 20th century, C.S. Lewis, wrote this. It was under a different name. It was early on in his writing career. It was right after he had lost his wife. He wrote a book, and it was called this, A Grief Observed. In it, he said this, Meanwhile, where is God? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms. When you are happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing him, so happy that you are tempted to feel his claims upon you as an interruption. If you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate. When all help, other help is vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. He says a few sentences later, Why is he so present a commander in our time of prosperity and so very absent a help in time of trouble? I tried to put some of these thoughts to see this afternoon. He reminded me that the same things seem to happen to Christ. Why hast thou forsaken me? I know. Does that make it any easier to understand? Not that I am, I think, in much danger of ceasing to believe in God. The real danger is of coming to believe such dreadful things about him. As I said, this was written under a different name. At an earlier time in his life, C.S. Lewis remained firm in his convictions about the power of God and the love of God, the promises of God in the person of Jesus Christ. But what we see is that he is in a place where he was asking the questions of God. I said last week that I believe God welcomes the questions. He welcomes the people with the questions. But I want us to see that even though C.S. Lewis was in a place in his life where he was asking these questions of God, what you see in his later writings is that he never doubted the goodness of God. He believed that God was in control. So this morning I want to share with you a message entitled Safe in the Heart of God because I believe that in the truths that we discovered last week, the hope of the resurrection and the power of Jesus Christ, that that will continue to resonate in your lives even as we study these things together today. Because beloved people, I know that there are times when I struggle with this as I know you do too. I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe that God is in control. And I believe that God is in control of my life and of your lives. 
And this is what I believe we're going to discover together today as we look at this incredible theology from the Apostle Paul as he was writing this letter to the Romans from a Roman jail cell. Paul believed in the sovereignty of God. He believed that God was in control. And I believe that we're going to see this in a most profound way as we look at three simple verses together from Romans chapter 8. Of course, what we recognize is that these are not simple verses. But as we look at these verses together, beloved people, I want you to keep in mind in this most profound theology, God's heart. God has provided for you in time and in eternity. And I want you to know as we read these verses together that you are safe in the heart of God. So this morning we're going to be looking together at Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30. If you've brought your Bibles, now would be a great time to go ahead and open them up. I invite you to keep them open. I'm going to be asking you actually to circle a couple of things if you want. Of course, you're going to be able to follow along on the screen behind me. If you want to open up your Bible apps, certainly want to invite you to do that as well. Hear now the reading of God's Word. Paul says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And may God bless the reading of his word to our hearts and lives today. Friends, as we unpack this passage together, there's really two overarching themes that we're going to see together. If you're going to follow along and take some notes to show you that you are safe in the heart of God, the first thing that I want you to know is that God works for good. All right? Know this, God works for for good. I know that we may have days when a statement like that can be called into question, but I believe that as we study this passage together, we are going to see how this is true. For Christians, Romans 8:28 has become a favorite verse that they cling to as they walk through difficult times in life, but you and I have to be very careful in how we actually apply this passage to our lives because here's what we know is that this this verse can be incredibly comforting to those who are in Christ, but to those who are not, who don't have that call of God in their lives. These are verses that can seem incredibly harsh. I want you to see, what does Paul begin by saying in verse 28? He says, and we know. Right? He says, we know. But what is it that we know? Now, this is a, a word or a phrase that's used many times in the New Testament, but what does the we know always refer to? It refers to Christians. It refers to those who are following after Christ. It's something that could only refer to Christians of the day to say we know. Now, notice, what is it that we know? He says that in all things. And when you see the word in all things, this is a word or a phrase that's incredibly all-inclusive. It includes everything that we walk through in life, good 
and bad. Bright times and dark times, sweet things and bitter things, times of prosperity and times of adversity. What is it that we know that God is good? Not that everything that happens to us is good, but that God can work it for the good. Understand that, right? It's not that everything that you go through is good, but what happens is God works it for the good. Now, we need to be careful in how we apply this verse to our lives. It's not saying, hey, everything that happens to you in life is wonderful. Everything that happens to you in life is good. This is not saying that your life is only going to have times of prosperity, that you're only going to experience joy as you walk through life, that God is only going to provide you days of sunshine and of happiness. Nor is this verse saying that God is causing all of these things to happen to us. But what this verse does do is it gives us an incredible look into the very heart of God. Because what it does is it tells us that whatever it is that comes into our life, good or bad, God is going to work it for our good. Now notice, there are two prerequisites to this, and there are two perspectives to this. And to help us understand this, we have to continue on in the verse. What does it say? Of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. If you want to circle the word love, circle that. If you want to circle the word called, circle that. Because notice what this is saying. It's saying that only those who love God and who have been called according to his purposes can see this. The world cannot see and understand the pain and the suffering that we experience. It won't ever make sense. But for those who are in God, what we see is God takes all of the circumstances of our lives, he takes all of the experiences of our lives, and he works them for the good in our lives. So notice, those are the two prerequisites, but notice there are two perspectives. And the first is this, it's an earthly perspective. All right, an earthly perspective. You know, my sense is that as many of us walk through life, we could probably look back at our lives and see the good things and the bad things that God has used in our lives in incredible ways. There are things that have probably happened in our lives that have been incredible disappointments. And God has taken those disappointments and has used them for our good. There may even be things in your life that you look back upon and think that the enemy was using for disaster in your life. And yet what you see is how the hand of God was working through all of these disasters and he used them to build us up as a people. Now, does that mean that we like it all? That we understand it all? Or that we get it all? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But what it does mean is that you and I get a sense and a picture of the incredible love of God and his heart for us because he takes all of these things and he uses them for our good here on this earth. But notice, 
there is also an eternal perspective to this, an eternal perspective to what God is doing in our lives. What you and I have to understand, God has a much bigger plan for you than the 20 or 40 or 60 or 80 or 100 years that you have on this earth. God's plan for you is far greater than this short little window of time that you and I live on this earth because he is preparing us for heaven. Notice what verse 29 says. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son. Another translation says it this way, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. And I'll be honest with you, I will never fully understand this until I go to heaven and am with the Lord. But the point is that for those who believe in God, we see how he takes all of the things of our lives and he is preparing us for heaven. We can know that we are safe in the heart of God. We serve an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-trusting God who is taking the experiences of our lives and is preparing us for heaven. We have been conformed into the image of his Son, which is Jesus. Where Christ is, is in heaven, and all of the promises that are made for Christ are ours as well. So what we see is that God is working for good. And specifically, I want you to know, God is working for your good. So God works for good. But notice what we also see in this passage. God works for glory. Right? God works for glory. You know, I, I, what, I love what uh, people talk about with this passage. And they say, you know, you can either try to look at a stained glass window and look at each little individual piece and try to understand it on its own, or you can look back and step back and allow the light of God to, to shine through it. And I think, I mean, how appropriate is that, you know, you look at our stained glass windows, and maybe sometimes you want to sit there and you want to try to find, there are some pieces that are actually different. They don't perfectly match across. And so maybe you want to sit there and you want to try to, to study each individual piece, or you can simply sit back and allow the light to shine through, and it brings this whole glorious perspective into view. And I believe that's what we see as we study Romans chapter 8 together. Paul uses five theological terms here, terms that people have wrestled with for centuries. It's created division in the life of the church. It's, it's created whole different branches of theological understanding. But I believe that as we see these five theological truths, God is going to show us his heart this morning. And the five are this, foreknowledge, predestination, call, glorification, and justification. We're going to be looking at these in just a moment. But friends, as we look at this together this morning, here's what I want you to know. I want you to see God's heart. 
as we look at these incredible gospel truths, this is not meant for us to try to sit back in cold logic and try to understand each one independent of the God who is behind all of it. This is not meant for us to think of God as some sort of cosmic daisy picker, right? I love him. I love him not. I love her. I love her not. I mean, this is not what these verses are intended to do, but if you look back, you see God's incredible love, and what you can do is just bask in his goodness and his grace. Here's what I want you to see. The more you and I experience God's love for us in Jesus Christ— and the closer we actually get in our walk with Jesus Christ, the more we become convinced that this is all the handiwork of God. The more we see uh, God's love for us, the more we realize we had nothing to do with it. It was all of God. Jesus Christ came into this world. He lived, he died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, and you and I had nothing to do with that, save for our sin and our brokenness and our need for Jesus Christ to come into this world. But I want you to know this was all a part of God's plan to redeem you, all a part of God's plan to show his incredible love and care for you. I want you to see how God is writing a story in your life. In this very moment, God is writing a story. And as you turn from one chapter to the next, you don't know what that next chapter is going to hold. It can lead to twists and turns. Sometimes you have curveballs that are thrown your way. But here's what we know is that if you have given your heart to Jesus Christ, you know that your life is safe in the very heart of God. You are safe in the heart of God. You have been from before eternity, and you will be until the very end of time. And so what we see this morning is as Paul lays out God's marvelous plan of salvation, what I pray is that you allow the light of God's love to shine through these pieces so that you see them all together and you see this beautiful theology Notice with me piece number one, foreknowledge. Foreknowledge. Verse 29 says this, for those God foreknew. Beloved people, we serve an awesome God who knows the beginning from the end. We serve an all-powerful God who had your name engraved upon his heart before you were even born. Listen to what Psalm 139 says. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and then this, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Isaiah 42.9 says this, See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare, listen, before they spring into being, I announce them to you. 
Even Jesus said in Matthew 11, verses 25 to 27, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this is what you were pleased to do. Make sure if you've got your Bible, circle the word pleased. All things have been committed to me by my Father. Notice. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. See, God didn't choose us because He saw our future faith. God chose us for His good pleasure. Why? Because he loved us before the foundations of the earth. And even though you and I will never be able to comprehend this from a human perspective, the heart of God is that he cared for you, for you from eternity past, and he's going to care for you into eternity future. God knows it all. It's the foreknowledge of God. Piece number two, Paul says, predestination. Verse 29 says this, For those God foreknew, he also predestined. Now, notice, what did he predestine, or what did he choose us for? Notice the next part of this verse. To be conformed into the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. See, the word predestined literally means to pre-horizon or to define in advance the limits. It means that God has predetermined that those who are in Christ will experience salvation to the ultimate. You and I have been conformed into the likeness of his son. In other words, God has predetermined that you would be made into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, have to understand that so many people struggle with this doctrine of predestination. They think to themselves, well, you know what? God said somewhere in eternity past, I'm going to save so-and-so, and I'm not going to save so-and-so. And so often people say, well, then what's the point? Why should I even bother if it's not up to me? But what they do is they miss out on this beautiful doctrinal truth because they don't understand what the word implies. You might be interested to note that the word predestination is only four times, occurs four times in the New Testament. Six times, if you include the two times when the Greek word is translated either chosen or destined. Now, listen carefully. In all four cases, the word predestined refers to the, to the believer's and God's purposes for them. Every time the word predestined is used in the Bible, it never refers to the lost. I want you to check it out. The two times in Romans chapter 8 and the two times in, Roman, or in Ephesians chapter 1, it doesn't have anything to do with heaven or hell. It always refers to what God has intended for us, that God intends that you and I would be made into the likeness and the image of his Son. He has predetermined that you and I would be like Jesus Christ. God doesn't love us because we chose 
him. He chose us because he loves us. And I love what somebody said about this. This knowledge doesn't puff up our chests. It actually takes the breath out of them. Because you realize how much God loves you. No one has ever loved you like God. And no one can ever love you like God. And what we see is that in these incredible, these incredible words, that words that cause so much hang-up in the life of the church, all of a sudden become beautiful. Because what you see is that it's God who is drawing us to himself. Because he loves us. That's the second piece. The third piece is this, called. Verse 30 says this, And those he predestined, he also called. Now, the word called means to name or to invite when it's used in a human divine relationship. It actually means to summon. When Paul was on his way to Damascus to kill Christians, when Jesus Christ appeared to him, what Paul said about this is, I was taken a hold of by God. I was called by his grace. And beloved people, I love this. Because what this means is that at some point in eternity past, God called your name. You might not have heard it until 1972 or 1992 or 2022, but no matter what the case, at some point in the past, God called your name. And you responded to God. And you said, God, here is my heart. Here is my sin. Here is my life. Take it. It all belongs to you. There was a great preacher of another day, Dr. Henry Ironside. He preached on this very subject and passage. When he concluded, somebody came up to him and said, Dr. Ironside, it's a very interesting testimony of God calling you, but you know there's a little part of it that's our part. Dr. Ironside paused for a moment and he said, here's the way I see it. My part was running as fast as I could away from God. And God's part was running after me until he found me. That's what we see so often in Scripture. We see the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. It's, it's always God who is pursuing us. And why? It's because he loves you. You are safe in the heart of God. Piece number four is justification. Justification. Notice the middle part of verse 30. Those he called, he also justified. I love the way the New Living Translation actually says it. He says, and having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And that's really what that word justified means. It means that you are valuable in God's sight. In fact, as you stand before God, it's as if he doesn't see any sin or any brokenness in you at all. You are made completely right with God through Jesus Christ. You are cleared from your acts of sin, and it's as if God doesn't see it in you at all. In fact, one day when you stand before God, it's going to be Jesus Christ who is standing next to you, and he's going to say, my blood covers over this brother's sin or this sister's sin. 
Jesus Christ gives you right standing with God. Then piece number five, glorification. Glorification. Notice what the last part of the 30th verse says, and those he justified, he also glorified. I love, again, the way the New Living Translation says it, and having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Now, what we see in this passage, the simple truth of this glorification, this glory, is that one day we will receive all that has been given to us in heaven and our bodies will be made perfect. And what I like to joke about is the fact that that means that I will either have a full head of hair or you will be bald. <laughs> Depending on what perfection and glorification is, right? But I want you to see this. Notice how this is actually in the past tense. He gave you his glory. You have already been glorified. And that's the truth is that in some sense you have already been glorified. As God looks down at you from heaven, it is as if it has already happened. Now don't get me wrong, this is something that's going to find its future fulfillment sometime in, in the future when we close our eyes to this world and we open our eyes to the next but in a very real sense, you have already been glorified as God looks at you because you have been fully redeemed. You are fully complete. You are fully forgiven. You, in a very real sense, are already glorified because of your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you understand these things, what it begins to do is it changes your perspective because you see that everything that happens in this world is actually meant for your good and to bring glory to God. Now, friends, I want to point out two more things really quickly as I close this morning. The first is this. I think so many people struggle with this passage because our experience of it is different. You and I experience this differently, and so logically in our minds, we, we struggle with trying to figure this out. Because how do we go about this? Look, let's be honest. When, when Pastor Andrew or myself in a service invite you to give your life to Jesus Christ, we never said, we never say something like, God has preordained in this moment that you are to give your life to Jesus Christ. And like you're a robot, like you have no choice in the matter. And my sense is that on the day that you gave your life to Jesus Christ, it, you didn't sense that God had a gun to your head, right? And you were like, I have no choice but to say yes. At one point when you gave your life to Jesus, the truth is you were probably weeping. You are weeping because you realized how great your sin is. And you are weeping because you remember how great God's love is for you in Jesus Christ. And here's what happens. It's only after the fact that you look back on your life and you realize it was the hand of the Holy Spirit tapping you on the shoulder saying, today is the day. Now is the time. Because you and I experience this differently, we want to try to make this work out chronologically in our minds. And this is what Paul is revealing to us. Now, yes, 
we, we respond to God, but how it's God who's calling us. And I think that that leads to this second point this morning, is to understand this, that our choosing of God and saying yes to him and God's choosing of us, they do not run in opposite directions, right? They actually run together. Charles Spurgeon was asked, how do you reconcile these two truths? And this is what he said. He used John 36, verse 37. He says, all those the Father gives me will come to me. So God was calling, the, they're, they're going to come to me. And then he says this, and whoever comes to me, whoever says yes to me, as we talked about last week, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He says this, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. When, when Charles Spurgeon talked about this, he said this, I never reconcile friends. And that's really the truth. The beautiful things that we've talked about today remind us of our need to choose Christ, but instead what it does is it shows us the chronology. You choose to put your faith freely in God because God has chosen to bring you to faith. We choose second because God chose first. And what I hope you and I discover in, in looking and knowing these passages is the incredible heart of God. These are things that, as human beings, we, we try to make sense of and understand and Certainly we know on this side of heaven, we will never fully be able to understand and know this. But I think what these verses show us is that you are safe in the heart of God. God loves you. God who created you and called you, God works everything for your good and for his glory. I believe that no matter what happens to you in the future, no matter what lays before you, that God can take all of these things. He works them for your good. And he works them for his glory. I believe that you have been and you forever will be safe in the heart of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come before you today, we recognize that the, the passages, these verses that we have looked at, oh Lord, we could spend weeks upon weeks studying them because they are so beautiful. Lord, they are filled with such incredible power and love and a reminder of who you are and who we are. And Lord, what we would pray is, Lord, that today we would know how great your love is for us. Lord, maybe this indeed is the day. We, we talked about this, Lord, in Easter and the hope of the resurrection that Jesus is alive and, and people saying, well, Lord, can this be true? Lord, for those of us who have been followers of yours for a long time, we pray that maybe the things that we've talked about today will take a deeper root within our lives that we will be able to say, Lord, I see how much I am loved 
And Lord, for those who have not said yes to you today, Lord, I do pray that this is the day, this is the moment, this is the hour when they sense your Holy Spirit tapping them on the shoulder. And Lord, where they're saying, I know, Jesus, how much you love me. And so, Lord, I want to give my life to you. Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here who has not said yes to the incredible promises of God in the person of Jesus Christ, that this would indeed be the moment. Because, Lord, we see how you take all of our lives, all the experiences of our lives, and how you're working them ultimately for our good and what we know will be for your glory. Lord, I pray today that we would be reminded and that we would know deeply how much you love us. And we thank you and we praise you in the most wonderful and powerful and matchless name, the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Friends, I want to invite us as we close to sing about these incredible truths, how God takes the brokenness in the graves of our lives and he builds them into something beautiful, a great way for us to finish the today. So let's stand as we sing about this together.